0: I really sort of like that it's hard to quiet you down because it's a sign that you're a happy church. (laughs) Did you hear that car alarm going off? What could be worse than a cell phone and a baby crying all together? Is a car parked right by the door and the car alarm going off? So if you have a cell phone and you'd like to... Turn it to the off position. If you have a baby and want to turn it to the off position. <laughs> oh, I love babies. I had three of them. I really have nothing against them. There is um, a men's prayer breakfast Saturday here at 9 o'clock with the theme, biscuits and gravy and all the fix-ins. It's going to be a great Saturday morning. We have a special speaker who's going to share a very dramatic testimony with us, how he's overcome quite a a struggle. And uh, all glory to God, it's going to be a great time. Numbers chapter 22, we are making our way through the Old Testament, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because the Lord said, Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words... It's not all about food, people. You've got to have life from God. And life from God is what Calvary chapels are all about. That's why we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We just don't go topically. We're in the scriptures. In all of our studies, in youth groups, in women's studies, we whatever study happens here, it's not out of a Christian book. It's not out of our curriculum. A Christian curriculum, as nice as they are, we're always in the Word of God somewhere, making our way through, verse by verse. Because it's the Word of God that makes us alive. The Word of God that cleanses our, our consciences, renews our mind, gives us uh, sound teaching for every everything that there is in life. So, with that said, you're already at Numbers 22. Father God, we now ask your blessing on... Your living word sent to heal us and to save us and to show us the way to live forever. In Christ's name, we receive it gladly. Amen. There are literally thousands of people named in the word of God, Bible characters. Most of them are pretty simple and straightforward, as personality-wise, character clearly delineated. We, we get them. And there are, however, a few characters in the scriptures that are complicated, mysterious, perplexing. Abraham's nephew Lot would be an example. He's this worldly guy. He loves Sodom, but the New Testament will call him righteous, that he had saving faith. Saul, I think of King Saul. This handsome, gifted, called of God, Israel's first king. And he, he lives in such a pathetic way and ends life so hideously. Judas, a disciple that spent three years or so within a stone's throw of God in a human body. And then ends up the way he did. How sad. Tonight one of those people you read about and you can't figure out, you can't quite understand him, Balaam. He's mentioned quite a bit in the Old Testament and New. Uh, He's the Old Testament prophet. You're going to meet him for four chapters. We're going to have a story where he is the major player. God is going to speak through this guy, this prophet, and he's going to use him. And although God uses him and Although he has all the right-sounding words, he sounds like one of us. Actually, he's not one of us. He turns out to be quite the enemy. He turns out to be deceived and a deceiver. The New Testament warns us clearly. And whenever there's a question about somebody, there's usually an explanation somewhere. And in the New Testament, three times we are warned. Watch out for the error of his wicked ways, Balaam's wicked ways, that is. And so the context for tonight, here in Numbers 22, the children of Israel are on a roll, kind of a victory parade. They have entered, as you will recall last week, they've entered the southeast corner of the promised land. They are taking land that will be uh, eventually given to the tribes Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And so that the, a 400 year Prophecy is coming to pass right before their very eyes, and they're singing about it. They're rejoicing because finally, after 400 years, this land that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their uh, progeny, their descendants, now after a 400-year detour in Egypt, they are on their way back from Egypt into this land that God swore that would be theirs, and so now, you know, they've taken two really big battles, and like I said, they've secured part of the promised land for the very first time in the Old Testament. They're in the land. However, now it's time to face a place called Moab, who will adopt a different strategy that will lead to 24,000 of them dying. There's somebody hidden in the mountains, in the heights there, that's able to call on the devil, and he's going to do so on behalf of the king of Moab. But y'all kind of know the story. We're going to get in touch with it again here, so let's get started. Verses 1 through 4. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab, so they're moving north to take the whole land, and Moab's next. They just had one victory and another victory. And now they're on the border of the new frontier of Moab. So they get to Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites right before that victory right before. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, they're getting together now with them, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. All right, so we're going to walk a little, uh, take little chunks at a time. Notice, first of all, the instinct of the wicked. When confronted with the powerful truth, they resist instead of Repent. Here's this king of Moab. He gets up on a hill. He sees the swarms of the Israelites coming. He hears the news that this God Yahweh is with them, and everybody's going over like dominoes. Uh, Israel's advancing, and the Bible says he has this gut-wrenching fear that's going to motivate him to find a strategy not to surrender and to repent. He's heard. He's heard the gospel, as it were. He sees that God is with these people and that nobody can stand up against them because God is with them. And what does he do? He doesn't want to contact them to to negotiate a surrender. No, he wants to find a way to resist, and that is what all wicked people do. God has given this king a tremendous gift, fear. Fear. The sense of dread. In the Hebrew, it says a sickening dread. And I read a rabbi who commented on the verse that said, it's the kind of fear that makes you, sorry, want to vomit. That's the word in the Hebrew. When he gets the picture and sees the two million strong coming over the hills and just everybody going over like dominoes, he gets sick. His stomach. Down go the Amorites, down go the Bashanites. It's not a pretty sight at all. He calls them a horde. He says they're like starved livestock plowing through and chewing up every green blade of grass in their path, and that's going to happen to us. You know? So notice how the king, you know, he doesn't respond. Like I said, he, he he doesn't say he doesn't send a delegation to the Israelites and say, "We've heard and seen what the Lord has done on your behalf." Who is this Yahweh? How can I make peace with him? Our consciences bear witness; we're being convicted. You guys are two and zero. Oh, come on, you know we we kind of see the pattern. They sense danger, and instead of surrendering, he's going to find a way to stay exactly as he is, to outsmart Yahweh. And it's not going to happen. And that's how all unbelievers are. The Philippian jailer realizes when there's an earthquake and the doors go busting open and the chains on Paul and Silas fall off, here's a guy who's one of us. That's the difference between us and them, the saved and the damned. The difference is we say whoa, outgunned, surrendered, what must I do to be saved? And we get the information and we bow the knee and we're saved. The difference is the king, King Balak, sees that and says, what must I do to still resist? How can I, in light of everything I I see, how can I still go around and keep my life for me and not give it away? That's the difference between us and them. Somebody told me, you know, you're only saved because you're, you're a Christian because you're afraid of going to hell. And I go, yeah? <laughs> it, it, that is pure, unadulterated wisdom. <laughs> My gosh. A fool, Proverbs says, senses danger and keeps going. And suffers for it. The wise take refuge. And so here's this guy. The first thing I see is this sickening dread. And instead of surrendering, of course, the sad reality, he wants to find a way to resist the truth. The sad reality, folks, did you know that Israel is not instructed to attack Moab? Their relatives through Lot Abraham's nephew. It's an unfortunate story, but they are related. And so the Lord tells them in Deuteronomy do not attack them. But because the king doesn't listen to God because of his ignorance, he will be destroyed. Even God's own people, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. How much pain and suffering we put ourselves through. Because we don't even know what the scripture says. So many things could be avoided. So the king of Moab is a fool, and he's about to send for another more foolish than he. Instead of surrendering, he's strategizing. Verse 4 through 6. So this king, Balak, who was king of Moab at the time, sends messengers to summon Balaam, son of Baor, who is at Pethor, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. So he's going to send for this guy named Balaam. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt, they cover the face of the land, and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed. And whoever you curse is cursed. So this guy, in his nauseating fear and dread, is going to call for the big guns. Conventional warfare is going to be out of the question. He senses, look, they're too strong. There's no way we're going to beat these folks. It seems like their God is very uh, strong and powerful and supernatural. So he is going to take the supernatural way. He's smart enough to know that the answer is spiritual. So one commentator said it this way. Balak is in search now for uh, weapons of mass destruction. I just have WMD down there. Yeah. He's looking for a way to supernaturally oppose these Jews who are on their way in. If you can't win physically, he's saying, let's play this out spiritually. Let's call on our higher power. And you know what kills me about this? Spiritual people is is that they're willing to acknowledge the existence of the afterlife and of angels and of God, a God, but they won't acknowledge the truth. So instead of calling, you know, this is a spiritual battle, why don't we talk to Moses? or the elders of Israel, Yahweh's own people. No, he's going to call for a psychic. He's going to call the psychic network. And he's going to find this guy named Balaam. He's a psychic. He's a fortune teller, soothsayer, kind of witch doctor, kind of guy. Another symptom of the wicked. Trust a medium over a pastor. Let, don't go to a pastor and open the word of God for guidance about your life. No, call somebody or sitting on a street corner with a sign that says, you know, open for business, fortune teller, palm reading. We're uh, open to spiritual things and close to the truth. That's what wicked people do. Verse 6, uh, he's, he, this guy is famous for being able to curse and bless people. So he's in touch with the devil. Whether Balaam knows it or not, he's able to put a hex on people. He's internationally known. The king of Moab knows about him and says, let's call this this guru, witch doctor, and he'll put a hex on all the Jews, and I'll be able to win. So he's got this uh, wide reputation. He's a Gentile. He's a Midianite. He's not a Jew. He's a sorcerer. He uh, practices in the occult. They sacrifice animals, and they prophesy by using their entrails or their innards, and they get their divination that way. He'll say in verse 5 that these people are apparently, they have a very strong god, and I need your help to cast a spell and place a hex upon them. Okay, 7 through 20. So the elders of Moab, so the king's got his elders together, and they joined ranks with Midian. The elders, the delegation, they leave, taking with them the fee for divination. When they, when they came to Balaam, they told, they told him what the king had said. Spend the night here, the prophet Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer, The Lord, he uses Yahweh's name, he knows about Yahweh. The Lord gives me, I'll give you the answer. So the Moabite official stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these guys who were with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people who has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people, because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, Go back to your own country, for the Lord, Yahweh, has refused to let me go with you. So the, so the Moabite officials returned to the king and said, Balaam refused to come. Then Balak sent other officials more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam now a second time and said, This is what the king says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. This is why he's confusing. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. All right, let's pause there and make some comments. Well, godly words, ungodly life. You know, your talk must match your walk to be a true believer. And it's very easy to say the words, but not very easy to live them. And Balaam has got the rhetoric down for sure. This is where the confusion comes in. Balaam's true identity. Is he a prophet gone bad? Is he trying to do the right thing, but he's really, uh, really, he is really, truly a believer, but going bad, you know. He uses Yahweh's name. He calls him my God. There's a show of devotion there. Verse 18 says, even if the king, on the second time when he's refusing, even if the king gave me all the silver and gold in his whole palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord Yahweh, my God. And it doesn't say this, but incidentally, how much gold would that be that we're talking about? Because we will find out he's very interested in that gold. Now, why are Christians so gullible? We really are. As soon as somebody hangs up a sign that says, Reverend anything, or if anybody says, I'm a Christian, we just fall over and just buy the whole farm. I mean, that's how we are. I mean, it's hard to convince people that this guy's a bad guy, even though he is a bad guy. Anybody can say, you know, sound pious and sound spiritual, but he's a bad guy. Numbers 31, he's a bad guy. Deuteronomy 23, bad guy. Josh, Joshua 13, Joshua 24, bad guy, bad guy. Judges 11, he's a bad guy. Nehemiah 13, he's a bad guy. Micah chapter 6, he's a bad guy. 2 Peter chapter 2, he's evil. Jude, only one chapter, verse 11, he's evil. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, he's evil. He's a bad guy. But look at him. God uses him, and he says he loves the Lord. <laughs> Christians are so gullible. First John chapter 3, verse 10 says, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who doesn't do the right thing is not God's child. In other words, Anybody who's constantly living in evil, constantly doing wicked things, has embraced a wicked way of life. And every day you can see you're doing wicked things every single day. Yeah, it's plain. You can say how much you love the Lord and know him, but the Bible will call you out and call you a liar. Jesus says, You are a liar if you say, I love him, yet do not keep his commands. You see? So here's this guy. I mean, come on, think about it. Remember Judas sounding pious? I mean, here's this guy saying, even if you were to give me all the silver and gold in the whole palace, I could never say anything against the Lord my God. Now, Judas, when was it Mary, alabaster, perfume, anoints the Lord for burial, as the Lord said, he said, what a waste. This is worth a year's wages. Do you know how much good we could do to the poor with that money? And all the disciples went, oh, if only we could be more like Judas, the true Christian. Listen, Christians, a little discernment. You know how many people I went to Bible college who don't even profess Christ anymore? It's only been 30 years. You know how many people have fallen away from just regular church because they never really were plugged in to begin with? Just because somebody says, I'm a Christian, and tells you a testimony, has a Bible tucked under their arm. Please, give it a little time. Give it a little time. Use a little wisdom. And so this is the case of this bad guy here. So what's going on? Uh the king, the delegation from the king visits Balaam twice. Now let's break it down. He comes once and he says they come. He says to them, he says to him, Come at once, curse them for me. So he seems to know the strength of Israel is kind of spiritually rooted, and they have to kind of cut off their source of power if they're gonna conquer them. Alright? And there's money involved. He brings a fee. Uh, to pay him for his services. And uh, Balaam goes to work. And he says, You guys spend the night. I'll go check it out with Yahweh. And so <laughs> Balaam pulls out his crystal ball, <laughs> cuts up his chicken, and pulls out the livers. And he's doing his thing, and God shows up. <laughs> That's wonderful, I think. I just think it's amazing. What a paradox. So the true God shows up within the crystal ball and says, Okay. Tell me, tell me, B, what up? What's going on? And he says, who are those guys? Tell me the whole story. So he says, "Uh, you know, these guys from Moab, they're outgunned by these numerous people. They're so strong. And he wants me to put a spell on them. And he wants me to go with them and curse them. And God says, no and no, period. Very simple. You cannot go with them. And B, you cannot curse them because they're blessed. So Balaam comes back and listen to his half-truth, whole lie, because that's what a half-truth is. It's a whole lie. He comes back and he says, you know what? Yahweh says I can't go. So bye-bye. So they go back. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, you know what? It's impossible. Yahweh told me he's blessed them. It's impossible to curse them, so go away. No, he just said, like when a kid is little and the friends invite him out late at night and he really wants to go, but dad says no. And so he tells his friend, my dad said no. That's exactly. In other words, I really want to go, but Yahweh said I can't. That's exactly what he's saying here. And what is he saying? Well, the king is going to get it. He's saying, you know, I really, really, really want to. But Yahweh said no. But I really, really, really want to. Maybe you can kind of sweeten the pot a little bit. Maybe you can make it worth my while. The king does read this as a negotiating ploy on Balaam's part. And he sweetens the pot. So this king's no fool. He thinks everybody's got a price. He's told me no. What? Are you kidding me? Uh, You know, God or no God, he says, you know, which master is going to win out? The master who just said no, or the master who says, here's more of what you always wanted. Which master are you going to serve? So the king of Moab ups the ante. He sends higher-ranked emissaries, kind of like instead of the mayor, now he sent the governor. Or instead of the governor, he sent a congressman or whatever. you know. And then he's up the ante with the greater promises of riches. You name it, and I'll give it to you there in verse 17. Well, here comes the rhetoric and nice try. He says, are you kidding me? I can't be bribed. And then he says, but let's sleep on it. So he goes to God and listen to how twisted he is. He says, let's see if Yahweh adds anything to this. Let's see. He said no and no, but but let's sleep on it. By the way, you can't bribe me, but let stay here and let me go and check again. Maybe he's going to add something to no and no, because you know what you can add to no and no, you could add a yes I guess, if you're twisted, like Balaam. So here, I have a little note here. When you exhaust the patience of God and he gives you a green light permitting you to go down your evil, foolish path, you better look both ways before you begin your journey. Now, Yahweh is going to give him a green. It's called the permissive will of God. God doesn't always give you over to your desires to chastise you or to judge the wicked, but he's known to. And it's definitely not about a silly superficial lapse in judgment when you just kind of want to do the wrong thing. But, you know, it's when you are hell bent on doing the contrary to God's revealed will to your heart and to your life. When you're hell-bent on going your own way like that, you know what? God won't stop you, and he'll give you an okay, an open hand. Okay, this is what you want. This is what you're going to get, and he will guide you in that process, you know, redemptively, trying to save you or judge you, judge the wicked. 2 Samuel twenty two twenty seven 27 says, To the pure you show yourself pure, but to the devious you show yourself shrewd. In other words, God is saying, you, straight, you shoot with me straight, I'll shoot with you straight. You play games with me, I'll beat you at your own game. We've been down this before. It's something God will do. He just won't be mocked said you want to be hell-bent, hell-bent, hell-bent on this thing, this thing, this thing, you know, you're going to find a way to do it and God's going to go, okay, and you're going to think you have a green light, but you really don't have a really green light. You have what I call a false green. How do I know if I've got a false green or not? Folks, I <laughs> I hear all kinds of stories about how God has shown the light to people to convince them to live with their boyfriend or to sleep with their girlfriend or to take a job that's obviously going to cause them some trouble or to move to this other place or to marry this person. I have heard it all in 30 years. It's a false green. How do you know? Oh, it's so simple and I'm so good. This is the easiest question you've ever asked me. Honestly, are you shooting straight with him? Then you're fine. If you're playing games and you want something to be true when you know it shouldn't be true, or you want something you know you shouldn't have, and you're still knocking, 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 watch out for the false green, because you're going to find your signs. And then once you start down that path, you're going to be talking to the donkey and the donkey's talking to you. You're going to be so upside down. You won't be able to tell what's happening. Why? Because you've treated truth and exchanged it for a lie. And now you're upside down. You can't tell who your friends are. You can't tell who really loves you. The people who really hate you are the ones you think love you. And the ones who love you, you think hate you. Watch out for the false screen. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. Somebody called me and said, I need counsel from a pastor who's not involved in the situation. So I met him at a place, a park. And he said, I want to tell you what my ministry involves. And he said, I have the blessing of my pastor, but I want to come to your church. And I want to be up front with you. I dress up like women and I go into bars and I have a ministry and I share the gospel and there's a lot of fruit and my pastor thinks it's a really good idea and I spend hours a day in the word and hours a day. Pastor, how many hours do you pray a day? Because I pray two hours a day so I know that my ministry, not only is God called, it has a pastor. He named the pastor, an evangelical pastor. Now, whether he's telling the truth or not's another story. But he named him, approved. What do you say? And I didn't say it quite this bluntly. But I said, you and your pastor are lost and sick and need a lot of help. You've got a false green. This is something you struggle with and you try to to create a ministry so that you can do it, so you can have your cake and eat it too. But The Bible says very clearly that that's a sin. And I showed them chapter and verse. Boom. Men are not to be dressed in, in girls' clothing. Period. It says it in the Old Testament. Well, that's really the Old Testament. Yeah. It's the Bible. (laughs) False screen. When you're under a false screen, and then you quote the scriptures, and you say, yeah, but that's only a part of the Bible. Or that's the only time it appears in the whole Bible. You're under a false screen. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Watch out. Do not uh, validate and justify with your mind things your heart condemns. Or you're going to end up as crazy and cast away as Balaam. So let's finish 21 through 35. And then I'll make a few comments. Because you can't go home without the donkey story. (laughs) (laughs) Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry w- when he went. Yeah, see, false screen. Yeah, go ahead, but I'm not very happy. All right. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sw- sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. The donkey did. And the donkey saw him. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it laid down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then, our favorite part, the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Now here's the real funny part. Balaam's going to answer him. <laughs> He doesn't go, whoa, donkey talking to me. (laughs) He doesn't say, whoa, maybe I shouldn't have gotten the green light. No, he doesn't see anything. He's going to converse with the animal. Why? Because he's gone mad. Because he's in the bar. He's got a lot of fruit. He prays two hours a day. You see? And Pastor So-and-so, two thumbs up then that's, yeah, same. I see. Uh, Balaam answered the donkey. Did I skip too far here? Wait, what have I done? Oh, yeah, yeah. Balaam answered the donkey. You made a fool of me. Excuse me? Who is making a fool of who? Oh, my gosh. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. (laughs) He's having a bad day. The Donkey said to Balaam again, "Am I not your own donkey, which you've had which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? <laughs> no, he says <said. laughs> now he's feeling bad. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the Angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn, so he bowed low and fell face downward. Finally, the Angel of the Lord asked him. Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is reckless before me. This is no an angel of the Lord. This is the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ of Bethlehem, before he stepped through the womb of a virgin. This is Christ the angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away these three times. If it had not turned away, I would have killed you by now. But I would have spared it. The donkey. <laughs> Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. Judas said that too. Yeah, Saul said it. It's an easy thing to say when you're you're seeing the Lord stand there with a sword. It just just comes so naturally. Ah, I've sinned. (laughs) All right. Uh, I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Duh. Now, if you are displeased, oh, that's, that's the key right there. So if you are displeased, I'll go back. If if you are displeased, I'll go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. All right, let me make a few comments about this donkey story. God opposes the proud And cell phones. I don't know if you knew that, but he does oppose them. But he gives grace to the humble. So it's lesson time for Balaam. Uh, This proves uh, something that most people don't realize is true. All roads do lead to God. Really. Honestly. When God permits a man to do evil, he puts him on a path that ends in judgment. Those who obey... In a contrary way but they obey, they end their journey face to face. Those who disobey end their journey face to face. The only difference is the expression on the face. But all roads will lead to God. John 5, Jesus Christ, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. All roads lead to God. On one end is either a happy face and, or another kind of face, which Balaam saw. So notice the contrast here. You know, the dumb animal, we call them dumb, and the whole point is your dumb animal could see me and figure out, you know, something's not quite right. Let's not continue down this path. Your dumb animal got it. The sparrow sees the the cat and and takes to flight. The other day there was a little tiny spider in our sink, and I took my finger and I went to and I missed. And I went, <laughs> it knew, danger, danger. <laughs> the spider was tiny. And I kept trying to get it, but it was really fast. So I was having trouble getting it. But I was thinking, this is a smart spider. <laughs> this spider is smarter than Balaam. Marder than Balaam. Balaam's got a false screen, He thinks so. the angel of the Lord, no, don't pass this way. The, the donkey goes, hey, man, let's just kind of stop right here. But no, he's mad. He wants to go forward. The donkey sees. He goes into a field. He gets beaten. The donkey sees again. Uh, he's through a narrow tunnel, so he's like scooting over to the wall. It smishes his foot. He gets beat again. And then the angel of the Lord just plain flat blocks their way, and the donkey just lays down. And you know what here's the crazy part of laboring under the false screen what is he thinking while the donkey isn't going and we see by what the donkey said what God allowed the donkey to say that this isn't usual behavior for the donkey so what is he thinking you know you know when something's going wrong from usual you start to think am i doing something wrong what is he thinking he's thinking This is the enemy who's trying to stop me from what God has given me to do. He can't even see that the, you know, the donkey's trying to tell him, have I ever done this to you before, dumbbell? Maybe you can just kind of think, maybe God is in this. Maybe God's trying to tell you something. Maybe God is using this strange behavior of you not being able to get anywhere here and trying to tell you, stop. That's not what he thinks. He thinks, the enemy is against me right now. I'm so close to all that reward. And then everybody's favorite. What have I done to deserve this, the donkey says. (laughs) You've humiliated me in front of these two servants. I can't even control my own donkey. (laughs) I just love that. Now, what's going on? God, who makes everything, can open the mouth of an animal and make it speak. And besides, he's an occultist. Satan and demons may have spoken through all kinds of animals to him before. The Lord allowed the serpent to speak and communicate. And you know what? It's not so hard for me to see God just giving voice to an animal. Animals communicate already. We we had a dog that, I mean, when it wanted to go out, it communicated. When, when it wanted to warn me about danger, it communicated. And all God did was say, say what? you're feeling right now, (laughs) really. You know, he's like a therapist. Just say it, you know. (laughs) Just tell him how you're feeling right now. (laughs) Have I ever done this to you before? (laughs) That just, uh, it's one of my favorite stories. And I think God did it for children everywhere because for Sunday school purposes. (laughs) There's a great scene at the end of The Color Purple, a black gospel choir is singing this song and it's stretched out. God is trying to tell you something. And over and over and they build and they build it and it's just a, it's a beautiful song. Very moving. God is always trying to tell us something. And for most of us who don't spend much time in his word, he's got to use situations in life to try to get to us. Are you listening? I read a funny little story, not a story, a little Reader's Digest thing. A guy comes home. He says, honey, I just got offered a position with double the salary with a limousine and a driver and an office with a view of the entire city and he's a praying man. He goes upstairs and he says, I'm going to go upstairs and pray. And she says, honey, I'll come on up. I'll, I'll get my Bible. and We'll pray together. He says, no, dear, I need you to stay down here and pack. <laughs> because he's already decided. A Very dangerous thing. Just to decide and then try to go convince God. And that's what Balaam's doing. He's just trying to convince him over and over again uh, why he should go and do this thing. So God asks us, me, tonight, are we laboring under a false notion? Or are we shooting straight with God? Are we just trying to love God and do our best? We're not trying to get something that we shouldn't have. <laughs> we walking with him in truth and uprightness of heart. He said, ah, man, no good thing will I withhold from you. I'll take good care of you. I'll give you rest. I'll provide for all your needs. But d- don't play games. Don't get crazy. If it, just read your read the scriptures. Be intent on applying and living in truth and uprightness. and And God will bless us. We're going to pick up next week and see... Uh, Because the story gets really good, really good story. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your patience that we who have been heading down crooked paths so often, Lord, we, like the hymnist said, prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. That broken navigation system is in all of us. And thank you God for not turning us over to our, our darker desires, but saving us with your grace and making it so easy to turn and a simple prayer a simple change of heart is enough. You make it so easy. Your kindness leads us to repentance. So thank you Father that a true follower of Christ is safe and secure in your grace. When we sin, we confess our sins. You're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a little bit of Balaam in all of us, Father. May the power of the Holy Spirit fill us to overflowing that 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 darker portion of our sinful nature doesn't arise to deceive us, but is crucified by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. So be encouraged tonight. God is with you. Nobody can curse you. Nothing can come against you. Because God has blessed you. You have his son. His son died for you. And poured his spirit into your hearts. He calls you his dearly loved child. Nobody's going to mess with the apple of his eye. Nobody can curse you. Nobody can stop you. And all the adversity and challenge that you do um, encounter, it's been measured out. To work out for your good, because you are called by God and you love him. Be encouraged tonight. No demon in hell, no sorcerer, Nothing's coming against you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, thank you that everybody born of God overcomes the world. And this is how they do it through their faith, just their faith, trust in the Lord. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful security, which just gives us great peace of heart and joy. We know, Father, not even death can stop us. You said anybody who believes in you, though he, though he die, yet shall he live. So thank you, Father God, for all your great and wonderful promises. They bring us such wonderful joy. Help us to live for you and walk with you and shine your light this week. Until we meet again, keep us by your great power. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.